Hello, beloved listeners. This is Octavia's Parables. We are reading Wild Seed by Octavia E. Butler. And I am your co-host, Adrian Marie Brown. And I'm Toshi Regan. And we, before we jump into the good news, the wild news, the shape-shifting news of this chapter, um, do you have any news, Toshi Regan? Yeah, I want to celebrate a little bit. I want to celebrate our beloved Sonia Sanchez. Oh, um, yeah. Sister Sonia. (laughs) um, And I want to celebrate her and also just, you know, offer, if you are not already uh, familiar with with Sonia Sanchez's work, that you go and buy a book of poems um, that she has written at any point in her life. But Sonia Sanchez won the Gish Prize. And if you're not familiar with the Gish Prize, it's it is those Gishes, the Gish sisters, yes, who were actresses way back in the day, yeah. And they took the money that they made, and we are not talking like way early in the 20th century. Oh yeah. And they took the money that they made, and they established a fund to give a prize once a year to any artist, you know, doing something cool. And so yeah. Um, this is a, a really beautiful thing yes. to see this acknowledgement of Sonia's work, but also to just, it's a its a pretty good financial award. Oh, it's $250,000, okay, a.k.a. And a quarter million, okay. Yeah, <laughs> oh, my yeah, goodness. No, and in these days, um, we love to see our people who we love to see have it. worked so long in so many fields of scholarship and and teaching yes. and giving us the words that we yeah. needed and all of the offerings. We like to see them like have a, a, a path, especially our elders. Sonia is 87 years old. Mm. So this is a beautiful thing. I'm really happy about it. Goodness. I'm also happy uh, to just acknowledge like your book is like I see it everywhere oh. and I have not I have not read it yet. I'm really looking forward to the the, the date I'm going to have with yeah. it. But um, it is. It's just bubbling it's up bubbling all over up. the place. I see people talking about yeah. it. It's really exciting. It's been really sweet. I, I've gotten some really sweet messages, love notes and support from people who've known me a long time who are like, this is good, Adrian. <laughs> you know, it's it's really sweet because it's like that, like that feeling where it's like, okay, you know, you're a good facilitator, but are you going to be a good writer? And it's like, okay, right. you're doing okay at writing nonfiction. You know, the thing that the thing I want to say here because I think as we get into this book, Wild Seed, we're talking a lot about craft and what Octavia knew mm-hmm. about craft in 19, you know, the late 1970s when she's writing Wild Seed and what she learns about craft by the time she's writing the parables in the 90s. And Mm -hmm. I feel that craft question in myself, you know, like I've felt it over the years with my nonfiction, where it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, you know, emergent strategy and pleasure activism, writing on the edge of my life, who has time for craft? I just have to get this message through, you know? And then feeling more craft come in and fiction is like that, like, oh, this is a whole new realm of craft. I had a talk with Kiese Lehman and he was asking these questions where I was like, hmm, oh, mm, this is a whole different kind of conversation. <laughs> and it was just like thrilling, you know, a thrilling, different conversation mm. with so many pathways of like, I'm going to learn a lot in in this yes. new craft. You know, it's like good start and keep going, like that kind of feeling, which that's is right. a dream for a writer. So that's going well in my life. And I'm, I'm trying to think if I have any other 
announcements right now. You know, my life has slowed down so very much. I will say, I'm going to post this, but I had a really beautiful conversation with Fania Davis, who I'm kind of swooned Mm. out over. She's done a ton of work around restorative justice in her lifetime. And we got to talk together for the Yes Fest from Yes Magazine. And I was just blown away. Like if you haven't come across her specific work, you know, I think a lot of people are like, oh yeah, Angela Davis is sister. And it's like, yes, and a Mm -hmm. massive force to be reckoned with, a massive like healing force, a massive justice force like i think she's unlocking new levels of understanding how we res- how we re- yeah, return yeah. from collective trauma so all of that feels you know i'm like i feel like the reason we do this reading together is because we're trying to f- follow that same path and it feels like fania is on that same mm. path but yeah so not really announcement just to like look at sonia look at fania like we are really blessed right now to be alive at the same time as these teachers and thinkers and That's right. you know, just find you someone about 30, 40 years older than you and just look up with, with awe and just be amazed that you right. get to be alive at the same time. So, yeah, all right. So, so amazing. Here we are. Yes. Wild Seed, chapter five. And Toshi, um, <laughs> I just want to be transparent <laughs> with our folks that we were just sitting here and talking about how much Octavia packs into each of these chapters. Like, I really think that Wild Seed on its own could have been a trilogy. There's so much. I mean, it's it's super densely dense storytelling, super dense storytelling, right? And even for Octavia, who likes a dense chapter, you know, she's like, I will put Mm -hmm. everything in here. So I just want us to shout out and give deep appreciation to Toshi, who is going through these chapters (laughs) where like there's tons of information that has to be included in the summary for it to make sense and toshi is like figuring yeah. out how to get it to us so thank you baby for for all that labor <laughs> thank you, love. <laughs> like, we were just like should we split these i up? know like, like should we need to so chop intense. these chapters into fourths anyway we'll figure yeah. it out but <laughs> like good luck <laughs> i believe in you thank you thank you friend so, um, you know, I started off these chapters with a, a line from a spiritual. Mm-hmm. And this one uh, today is going to be, if you want to get to heaven, you got to go through the wilderness. And this is, this is all about going through these new wildernesses, even if they're on the, uh, the water most of the time in this chapter. And it really could have been divided into two or three. So I'm going to not give you everything, but I'm going to give you enough to uh, to get you in there. Um, so they're on the boat and they are losing sight of the motherland and they're in the big water. And it starts off with uh, Okoye, who has been staying in Doro's cabin with Anyangu while he has been sick. Now that he's recuperated, they put him where they put the enslaved people, which is very different from what we think of when we think of enslaved people on a on a uh-huh. boat, on a slave uh-huh. ship. So uh, these people are not chained up. They are, you know, sitting. They are walking around. Eventually they get access to the um, whole ship, and they don't work that much. So oftentimes the crew is is working more than they are. So because of that, Akoya is not, you know, in his protest resistance energy. He's he's being among the people. And Anyanmu takes um, Doro's 
suggestion and introduces him to Undinquo um, and kind of gets them into a couple. She plays uh, matchmaking, uh-huh. even though they're, she considers both of them like her grandchildren. Yeah. Um, she's a little, so it's a not little freaked out by it. But. Mm, abomination. But she's like, okay, let me just see. Here we are. Yeah. Um, and then Doro is like, takes uh, Okoye aside and says, hey, you know, you want to get married because the ship captain can can get you married. And he's like, mm, you know, my family already found me a wife and I liked her. Yeah. Like, we, you know, we already started yeah. things. And then he's like, you know, you're never going to see this person that's again. Right. Like that's oh, your, your life is over. Like, stop. And um, and then this is an interesting conversation because Okoye is like, well, you just because you said so, should I should I get married? Mm-hmm. And also she had a husband already and she had these kids and it's a small kind of, that's just kind of a small conversation because the next step is like, what's going to happen to us in your homeland? Like, what are you going to do with us? And so he's like, I'll give you some land. I'll give you some seeds. You can, you can grow things. And all you need to do is like, obey me and do what I say when I ask, you know? And he's like, but like, what are you going to ask? And he's like, I could ask now, I could ask him 40 years. He's like, you know, but what? He's like, well, I might ask you to like take care of some kids or I might ask you, you know, to carry a message or something. And he's like, you'll ask me to do wrong things as well as right things. And he's like, yep, I'm going to ask you to do what I need you to do. So, you know, he is like, if I don't do this, are you going to kill me? And he's like, "Yes." yes. And he's like, all right, I'll do what you say. And then he agrees to get married, but he doesn't want the white man marrying him. And so Doro's like, shall I do it? And then they actually have a wedding. And the wedding (laughs) is all kinds of things. And, you know, we could just do the wedding. But they actually have a wedding and they have a feast and they have some kind of joy about the wedding, considering the way everybody is. And none of the food is familiar and none of anything is familiar, but they but they do it. And there is like this level of kindness on the ship. There's this the enough food for people. Um, there were their blankets. You know, the sea air on the deck is nice. But there is this fear of Doro that is so in the ethers of everything That's right. that that people don't dare to do anything but be in alignment with the tone of how Doro is setting things up. So it's not like Doro's just like explicitly walking around and talking to people and going, okay, you can sit here and you can do this and you can do that and you can do that. It's that there is a vibe on the ship and everybody knows how to act. And everybody knows to be extremely afraid of him. You know, Anyamu was really like, what have you done to make them so afraid of you? And he's like, nothing. (laughs) He's like, I haven't done anything. Oh, my God. That part. I'm like, you know. Okay. Mm. (laughs) So he's just like, I'm just being Doro. Like, I don't know why he's so scared. And he's like, you don't really actually know what a slave ship is. And so uh, as Octavia tells it, you know, he describes to her the slave ship, people being packed together so that they could hardly move and chained in a place so that they had to be in their own filth and beatings and the women routinely raped and tortured. Not large numbers of slaves 
dying and all suffering. And he's like, that's a waste. Mm. So before you start to think he cares about anybody's condition, Mm. he just sees that as a waste of people. Like, look what you could do with all of these people. And she's just looking at him because, you know, you start to find, she starts to find the layers in the depths of his, you know, I don't know. I, I I just keep thinking of it as a shrug. Yes. Because oftentimes she says he shrugged. Yes. You know, somebody will say, this is, this is, and he just shrugs. It's it's a really layered shrug. Yeah. It's got, it's an epic shrug. Like, it's just not anything that can penetrate it. That's right. So she's like, uh, shall I be glad that your slaves will not be wasted? Um, or shall I fear the uses you will find for them? And he, yeah, he didn't have anything to say to that. He's like, you want some brandy? Like, yeah, he's <laughs> like, I'm unbothered. Mm. He's so unbothered. It's just unbelievable mm. how unbothered he is. But, you know, I don't know anybody who's lived 3,000 something exactly. years. So I don't, I don't know. Yeah. He's like, this is thousands of years beyond your comprehension. Yeah, and I kind of breeze through that, people. Yeah. Um, when you read this, really take it in. It's it, Everything is important. Everything is meaningful yeah. in these stories. So they have the wedding, and they just after the wedding, this huge storm comes upon them, or they come upon it, and it's epic. It's a big, 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 giant, like, for sure, you know, dump the, the boat, you know, upside down, everybody dies storm. And so... The ship is just moving and water is everywhere and people are screaming and they've had a storm before, but this one's even more massive. Everything is happening and and Yanwu just decides to like go up on the deck and she notices as she's going up on the deck that, you know, um, she noticed before in the other storm that Doro and and a group of men like stood together in a small circle. You know, and he, she's like, what, what were y'all doing? You know, and he's like, you know, just waiting to be helpful, like to see what, you know, if we can help. <laughs> Shrug. <Sure>. And um, <laughs> so as this storm is happening, the same thing is happening. There's the, you know, Dora with these men that turn out to be his sons and they are in a, in a circle and the power of this storm is really pushing everybody into positions that, you know, they can die any second if with, with any misstep or not holding on to something. And even a guy starts to go and Anyanwu grabs him and holds on to him and holds on to herself, attaches herself to something that she can like really be grounded in. And the mm-hmm. only reason this man lives is because it's Anyanwu. Mm-hmm. There's no regular person that would have survived that position. So... As she's observing all of the things happening and everybody trying to, to save the boat and save themselves, she could see Isaac. She could distinguish him from everybody else. And his arms were raised and his face was turned down and to one side and to and to escape some of the wind and the rain. And his clothing and his yellow hair whipped about. And for an instant, she thought he looked at her or in her direction, but he could not have seen her through the darkness and the rain. Mm. And she watched him fascinated he had not tied himself to anything as the others had yet he stood holding his strange pose while the ship rolled beneath him Uh you know so i feel like she's describing like isaac almost riding the boat and riding the ocean and riding the storm 
um, and writing everything. And yeah. by this point, he's by himself and he's still not holding on to anything. And he's utterly indifferent to the wind and the waves. And Yamu, she's still like, you know, trying to hold on. Mm. Uh, she can feel the pressure of the wind and she can feel what it feels like to have the rain hitting you so hard. And so this is, you know, like unreal to her, even though she is who she yes. is. She's just like, wait a minute. Eventually they make it through and they get through the, the storm and the sky's clear. And um, and then it's just like storms are, oh, this is some nice wind and now we're okay. Yeah. And Yanwu released this guy she had been holding up and everyone was cheering for Isaac. Everyone was really happy for Isaac. And Isaac you know, was exhausted mm. and kind of needed to be carried away. And Doro was like, were you on the deck? And she was like, yeah. And he was like, well, then you saw. Mm-hmm. And she like turned to, to see him. And this is where we learn that, you know, Isaac is the best son. Isaac yes. is the, the most powerful and amazing son. And she's surprised by it, but he's kind of like, how can you be surprised? Look at you. Like you think you're the only one. <laughs> And he explains to her about these sons. And he's like, there's only one son she can interact with, and it's Isaac. Mm-hmm. And he's like, the rest of them, like, just, you know, just stay away. Don't don't be with these other sons. Don't hang out with them. Don't do anything with them. Eventually, she is she goes down, and their cabin room is all, you know, flooded. And so he takes her to another one that's wet but less flooded, and it's the captain's room. Mm. And shortly after she's there, this man brings Isaac into the room. Mm -hmm. And Isaac is just, you know, messed up. He's tired. He's not really awake. And then the man brings him and she thinks, oh, maybe Doro is like, you know, wants her to take. I don't know. She's trying to reason why he's there. (laughs) She thought, you know, well, she's a medicine woman. So perhaps that's the reason. Mm -hmm. But this this person doesn't leave. He's like, here's my brother. And he's literally the most unattractive, one of the most unattractive <laughs> people she's ever seen in her life. You know, she's like this this green-eyed man. And she describes his face. And she's just like, uh-uh, this is not for me. And why is he still in yeah. here? And she's like, get out, you know, like, see you later. And then something starts to happen to her. Yeah. And she sees this image of, of Isaac. And she sees she sees them having like, having sex with Isaac and then having sex with this, this man. And she's like, it's in her mind. And then she hears the man laughing, you know, and she hears the man's name and she says the man's name. And she's like, how do I know this? You know, because he's not speaking to her. So this, this particular son has a gift of getting in people's heads and playing with them. And how do you say his name? Lale is what I've always said in my mind, but it might be Lale, <laughs> you know. It could be Lale, yeah. right? So you know, y'all do the names. <laughs> what do you the way say you in your head? Names. I was doing Lale, Lale, and then I was like, but maybe it's Lale. Yeah. And then uh, you Lale know, I don't feels know more like a enough. white guy. And yeah. <laughs> I think Lale was like Lale because I'm like we're coming like, from the continent, but I'm like, oh no, but this is one of those white. But sons, he's that's so. not his place. Yeah, yeah. Let's go with Lale. Well, with, with, we're going to call him Leo, <laughs> and Leo is absolutely frightening yep. and horrific. She So they get into it. Yeah. Like, she is not here for that, and she attacks him, and then he attacks her, and he seizes her um, by the throat, and he becomes 
you know, some, some kind of, you know, beastie yeah. something. Oh, yeah. And he, he's you know, like, oh my God, you can see this happening. Exactly. He grabs her by the throat. He was not weak. He was, his strength was nothing compared to her own, but still he struck randomly yeah. and, and she broke away and she heard him cry out in pain. Like she got away from him. She hit yeah. him. Well, just that I want like to visualize this because I feel like Octavia did some great monster work here that he is yes. like a lizard dog creature. Like he's got a dog head, a lizard body. And <laughs> I don't know. There's just something about that. I'm like, yeah, yeah that does seem like nightmarish. He's messed up, yo. And it is also because the transformations. Yes. So first it's like, I'm bringing somebody in here yeah. and I'm standing at the door and I'm looking at yep. you. And then it's like, I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to introduce myself, but I'm going to, I'm going to enter your mind without your permission. You know, like, it's <laughs> like, such a violation. It's all Ugh. kinds of wrongs and everything. And so when they have this fight, you know, she transforms um, and she transforms into a leopard, but her transformation is, it's like emergency transformation. She yeah. does it very fast, which is not how she flows. And she does it so fast as it's very, very painful. But her her life is in jeopardy and she had to risk it. Yeah. And she says a thing stood before her, a being more terrible than any spirit she could imagine, a great horned, scaly lizard thing, a vaguely human shape, but with a thick lashing tail and a scaly dog head with huge teeth set in jaws that could surely break a man's arms. And she transformed herself and she took this thing out. And when she takes it out, it changes back into its human form. And when she transforms this other level of hunger yes. uh, comes over her she and so she had she is eating this person yes and the and like having it and doro is like you need to stop and she she is like you need to leave me alone like, I, I need, need to, to tear out this. his throat <laughs> i'll see you later i need to eat everything i see mm-hmm. right now the only way that he gets her to kind of release is by threatening to become her to take her body yes. So he basically is like, you know, it's been a long time since I've been a woman. So if you don't stop, like, this is this is what's going to yes. happen. Um, and he picked her up and he threw her off and he, he kicked her and he beat her. He just did all of these things to try to get her off of this person. And this is explained so that we really understand yes. how hungry she is, exactly. how much energy these transformations take. Yeah. And what she has to do about him and who she is. So, you know, when she is forced to change uh, too quickly, then she could eat anything and she could take anything. And so she's messed up and she and he starts to explain to her about Lael and he lifts her up and he puts her in the bed with Isaac, you know, and she's just like, why is I, like, you know, hmm. I was like, why is Isaac even here? Like, what's going yeah. on? And so they they realize the setup and what this Lael, who no longer is among anybody, what he did. Mm. Um, so it is it is really intense. She still she still has to eat. And so he goes and finds her some food and she eats the food and it's like, OK, I'm gonna eat this food. But it is not the food <laughs> that she wants. She wants the, you know, bloody things yes. that are all over the place. You know, she wants to eat 
like the beast that she is. And, uh, and, but she's eating this, you know, dry meat and, you know, <laughs> just trying to like, you know, deal with it. And she was very exhausted. But Doro, of course, wants all this information. Right. And Doro is like, uh, you know, you, you can go ahead and sleep. But he removes Isaac and he <laughs> removes the dead son. And then we learn that he removes Isaac because Isaac also has hunger issues. Yes. And so, you know, we don't get to know all about those issues yet. But Isaac has hunger issues related to being with a woman. And so he's like, you're not ready for this. So we're going to take him on out of here and let him let him deal with himself. And they have a funeral for Leo. And Doro tells everybody what happened. Yeah. And he tells them because he wants them to know that this can happen to anybody. Like, don't fuck He's with her. He's like, look, I told, I told all my sons, I told everybody, like, she's not for you. Don't mess with her. But he's like, if I can't get them to, like, you know, believe my truth, then I'm just going to scare them. That's right. And then they'll understand it. Um, so mm. we get to hear a little bit about Lael's gifts. But Lael is gone. And mm. Lael is in the water. And as Anyanwu is looking at the water, she notices dolphins. Mm. She notices these, you know, beautiful, large fish. And she sees them leaping into the air and arcing down again into the water. And she watched these creatures before and she's intrigued and she longed to try and see if she can become these creatures. But before she gets all the way into that world, she has to like really understand what's going to happen between her and Doro because yeah. she killed his son. And he basically is like, you know, he has three children and he's like the kind of being that Lael is. Like they don't live very long. Like they they yeah. they kind of come and they go. And and one of the reasons I think is because of Lael's behavior, why he got a short life is they, they can do these things that make people want to kill you. So, you know, he told Anyamu that if... She had not killed him, and he had succeeded in what he was trying to do. He would have killed him. Cause, and he says that. She's like, your son? He's like, anyone. Exactly. Anyone. Yes. Oof. He's like, anyone. Yeah. And then I think he shrugged. Like, <laughs> you know you shrugged. <laughs> you know he oh, shrugged. Yeah, I'm going to kill people. He says this, um, my people, the destruction they can cause if they disobey me is beyond your imagining. Any one of them, any group of them who refuse to obey is useless to me and dangerous to the rest of my people. So he's explaining why he is, you know, it's easy for him to take somebody out who's not um, listening to him. Yeah. And he tells her that Isaac is well, and she wants to know what he did about his hunger. And he said he endured it until it went, it went away. There's an announcement that, you know, or an understanding that they're close to land. And as they, get close to land, the mood on the ship is deteriorating. Yeah. You know, the the food is, you know, nasty and the water is nasty and the ship smells nasty. And everybody is like, this land can't come fast enough. Like we're yeah. done. And so Anyanwu is up at the rail and she's looking at the dolphins and she's starting to get a feeling for the dolphins without even like doing the thing that she usually does, which is like taste something. Yes. But she's starting to get like, oh, I think I can become this this fish yes. this large fish 
And um, when Isaac stands next to her, he raises one out the water. And as he does that, everybody like comes to the edge and they're all excited and they're like clapping and he brings it on the boat and people are very happy because they're going to have some fresh fish to eat. And then that's when this is said, everyone ate well that night and Yanwu ate better than anyone because for her, the flesh of the fish told her all she needed to know about the creature's physical structure, all she needed to know to take its shape and live as it did. Just a small amount of raw flesh told her more than she had words to say. Within each bite, the creature told her its story clearly thousands of times. This this night in her cabin, Doro caught her experimenting, turning her arms into flippers. And Doro, you know, is like, what is going on? And she is like beaming. She's so happy about this discovery. This is like... I've met myself again, yes. as this is amazing. And so they have a conversation about whether or not she can go into the water and see if she can become yeah. a dolphin. And Doro also is investigating, you know, do you have to eat leopard flesh to learn how to be a leopard? Mm-hmm. And um, and she was like, no, I could see what the leopard was. Like I could mold myself into what I saw. I was not a true leopard, though, until I killed one and ate it. Mm. So that's so interesting. You know, she is able to like almost, you know, I would think of it as like, well, I could do the puppet version of a leopard. I could act yes. like a leopard. I could be the outside. But then when I ate the leopard, I that's when I had the whole, 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 whole thing, physical chemistry. That's right. All of the um, science of leopardness going on. So he's asking her about the sea. Um, but she's like, I don't know anything about the sea, but tomorrow I'm going to go. And then when she's like, I'm going to go, Isaac and Doro have a fight. Yeah. Isaac is like, no, you know, and just remember, Isaac likes her already. Yes. And remember earlier that they had the conversation where Isaac is like, makes it very clear that he wants yes. her. And, oh, right. You, you know, told Doro. He's like, yeah. that's my woman. When I when we get there. That's my woman. Yeah. Are you keeping her for yourself? That's right. And so they have that, you know, nasty conversation about who's keeping what when. <sighs> um, so he he is like, no, she can't go in the water. And Doro's like, well, she's going to go in the water. And then she overhears them arguing. And there's one word that stands out, which is shark. Yes. <laughs> she's like, and so she's like, what's this? He keeps saying shark. And Doro is like, you know. Yeah, you have to watch out for sharks. It's this is like a giant fish flesh eater and it will it will kill you. Yeah. Like, you know, so it's it's like the leopards on the land yeah. is how he explains it. Oh my goodness. So <laughs> you're doing so good. Thank you. <laughs> this is so beautiful. Yes. Her getting into the water to, you know, mm. become a dolphin. It's, it's one I of my feel favorite sad things that, that I'm gonna move clearly but you must read page 88 89 90 you know 90 to 91 maybe so even if you are not reading this whole book this read these pages Mm. um 88 to 91 and get into this transformation she just goes through the whole experience and it totally reminds me of how Alexis Pauline Gums imagines marine mammals yes. as she simultaneously tells you, like, here's, 
you know, these true factual representations of who they are. In her work, she actually expands the meaning and the possibilities of our relationships in this very similar way that Octavia is taking this character and having this character like really start to become a part of this world by transforming herself into a dolphin and experiencing the breathing and experiencing, you know, the hot, her eyes being on the side of her head and experiencing being um, a female dolphin and experiencing the way her skin feels. And she like breathes a little bit. She goes, she goes up and she does gets in the water and she takes in oxygen and, Eventually, the way that she describes breathing and how much it can do, yeah. it's almost like humans humans just use like one or two things that breathing can do and dolphins use like two billion yes. things. Like they are just taking care of their entire being yes. with this this breath, you know. Mm-hmm. So you have to read it because it's such a beautiful, a beautiful, beautiful description of breathing and it inspired me to take deep breaths this morning. other thing is that as she's as she's like on her own she sees other dolphins and she gets closest closer to them and this male dolphin you know comes up and touches her like rubs against her and this becomes like a, a way that you know they greet each other and they say hey how you doing but also like i'm interested i see you and there is again a beautiful like beautiful you know, in her conversation with her where she's like, when she's other species, she doesn't have sex. You know, she says it's an abomination. That's her word. Like you should not, when you have transformed into another species, you should not have (laughs) sex as that species. I mean, but when she meets this dolphin, (laughs) you know, I'm like, when she meets the dolphin brother, (laughs) she's like, what's up? (laughs) But this is different. That her being a dolphin is different, is more different than anything else that she's ever been. And you see Octavia really giving us this understanding of the species as being a very, 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 very special species. So, y'all, we got to protect the dolphins. Like, we have to do our best to protect the dolphins, protect marine mammals, and protect 
our oceans. Right. Like we have to do better. There's so much out there about what to do, different things you can do in your own life to keep oxygen in the oceans and to the keep the temperatures and the, the way the oceans meet each other to keep that. We really got to do better. Mm-hmm. Like literally they have no problems except for us. We are the problem of the oceans and ocean life. So as we are here, I just had to give that testimony, like just stop doing all of the things that are very easy to stop doing and then go to the harder things. So she is very much considering like getting it with this dolphin and it is really beautiful. I'm saying it short because I can't, we'll be here 20 minutes or minutes, but (laughs) she's considering it. And then as she's considering it, There is a man floating next to her (laughs) above the water. Cock block. And yeah. And that's, this is what kind of world we're in. Mm -hmm. And it's Isaac. And Isaac is like, Doro said, come back. And she is like, what is happening here? So he's telling her that she has to come back and she's seeing him. Remember, she's a dolphin. Exactly. So she's not a human. So she's like, she's seeing him from a dolphin's perspective yes. of a human, you know, and she's like, um, he looked very different now. <laughs> he looked like a clumsy thing and still and strange, but not remarkably ugly or frightening. He was a threat, though. He he had no reason to lose his taste for dolphin flesh, but she had now she had a reason for him mm. not to kill any more dolphins. Yes. Because she had her, her, you know, her people, her dolphin friends and her companion who she was about to start a relationship. So she had to say goodbye. Mm. And I'm a little sad for her that she had to say goodbye. Mm. Um, But she did. And she allows Isaac to lift her. And she describes that it was like someone had touched her and then and gripped her but it wasn't painful and he just lifted her up the water and he gently puts her on the deck and then she transforms before everyone that's there and again that is you know doro like you know saying like really y'all need to trust me not to mess with this woman and she he hands her something to wrap around her waist and she talks about you know, being before you're married, how you're naked in, in, in her village, but that once you're married, you're not. And so she's not that person, yeah. that unmarried young girl. So she's not going to be walking around the boat naked. So Doro and Isaac, everybody watched as she transformed. It was fascinating. And people, I think if people don't know not to mess with Anyanwu, they never will. Mm-hmm. But they have these this moment of tenderness. Doro hugs her. And she was able to relax. Like, so that whole experience yeah. of being put on the boat and everybody seeing her and like this way that she had decided to protect herself, which is she doesn't owe these people anything. No. So whatever they're thinking and whoever they are and whatever they think she is, she doesn't owe them an explanation. Yeah. She doesn't owe them the, nothing. Um, but she still was like, you know, holding a position, tension in the body, yes. tension in the spirit. Yes. And then Doro. Doro hugs her and she relaxes. And in her language, he says, what children will you give me? And she's caught off by the intensity of his words. And she couldn't help thinking of her own children, her strong and healthy, but short-lived, powerless children. 
And she's talking about us. It's, yes. She, they're regular people <laughs> like us. Normal people like us. We are like powerless. <laughs> We're powerless, healthy, short-lived people. And so she says, like, what children will you give me, will you give me husband? And it's a sweet moment, but the undercurrent of it is very ferocious. Yeah. He has now experienced every, you know, not everything she can do. Yes. But he has, he has seen her... Like you know, save a man from falling off of the ship and being on the on the deck in the in a storm that really only Isaac can really tolerate. Yeah, he's seen her, you know, uh, defend herself, fight his monstrous son, and become a leopard. Um, he's seen the power of that. Like only he, he is the only person who could have stopped her from doing anything. Yeah. There was nobody else on the on the boat. He's seen her make a decision that she wants to experience being a dolphin and then do yeah. it and even seeing her giddily practice you know in the bunk where she's like i can make a flipper look i can mm-hmm. make a flipper <laughs> like he's seen all this stuff and now he's he is very re- ready he is very much about anyangwu yeah. uh, so <laughs> they are having this moment but it is not like i said it's not okay and the chapter ends where he he kind of forces a smile out in this like beautiful kind of like lovers back and forth Mm -hmm. but he is he is not in the lover back and forth world he is just like everything is going to happen because this this woman is here and she can do all these things and like she feels the energy she asks what is it and he says nothing um and he pulls her head to his shoulder reassuringly and he strokes her glossy newly grown skull cap of hair mm. and of course she is not reassured but um she she accepts that the care and wondered why he was lying mm. and that is the massive Chapter five. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. So that was beautiful. You did. I was well, like, that was great. You know, it was a lot. It was good. I love it. It was great. I, love it. I mean, it's so much to cover. And I feel like you found all the all the juicy bits. So, yeah, questions for this one are wide ranging. Right. There's a lot that happens in here. And the first thing which keeps coming back to me in various ways, but can you imagine any way that those on the ship could resist Doro? And mm-hmm. I think as a general practice, this is a this is always a good practice to utilize when reading fiction. I think when reading these narratives where someone has total power or reading history where someone has total power. And I think it's often like we'll distance ourselves like, oh, I would have done this or blah, blah, blah. But it's like, really, mm-hmm. can you imagine the the plight that all these humans are in and that mm-hmm. Doro is an exaggeration, right? He's this immortal being, but the power he had relative to these people is similar to the power that that slavers had over enslaved people, like at that time. It was like, you're right. the one who dies, I don't die. You know, you come on the ship and you do what I tell you to do. And right. I can make it miserable for you, I can make it nice for you. Mm-hmm. So you know, as you're reading this, can you imagine what they could have done to resist him? Because it continue. everyone's testing, you know, Koya, everyone keeps asking the question of these small tests to figure out like, oh, okay, there's really no way around you. The next question I have is, it's a question about love and Octavia <laughs> and like how Octavia views love. 
it's in a couple parts. So the first is, why do you think Anyanwu is put off by Okoye and Odinkwu's love? And this is one of the things they say is like, even though she's the one matchmaking them together, she's also put yeah. off by the emotionality that shows up between them, that they're actually mm-hmm. being romantic. And she feels this way. I think there's a clue because Octavia writes that as they're falling in love, quote, rebellion seemed not to occur to them, right? And it's mm-hmm. like that the rebellious spirit is somehow quieted by the experience of love in these two. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, is that it? Are there other reasons you could imagine why Anyanwu would be like, no, um, besides, you know, also their relatedness, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but it feels like there's something there that I'm like, I feel like this might be an Octavia thing moving through this because the whole story of Anyanwu and Doro and several other sub-stories, like love is so complex. There's transactional, there's weakening, there's all this stuff going on. I'm like, hmm, intriguing. He also thinks she's like kind of a prude. Like he's like, yes. you know, she's more like her village people than she would like to admit. Yeah. You know, it's just like shaking her hand, like you shouldn't do that. You're not supposed you know? to do that. And, you know, it's interesting yeah. because- it's like, how would she be otherwise? You know, just because she's lived many right. years, she's lived them amongst her people. And right. so there's like, I'm sure patterns you've seen, but yeah, I find it fascinating the way that she responds and the way that they're navigating everything around values and beliefs and what mm. is good, what is bad. Mm. The third question is, how does it feel to read Octavia's writing on how slavery worked on the continent? And she mm-hmm. does this paragraph that, I find really moving whenever I read this book where she's talking about how much pain each of the people on the ship has already gone through in the process of enslavement on the continent, how many people were born into slavery, how many people were kidnapped from their villages, kidnapped from their tribes, kidnapped from their lives, left their Mm -hmm. children and families behind or watched them killed. And just the, the layer on layer on layer of trauma that's not coming from the white man necessarily, right? Like the white man picks things up kind of at the final stage of it to be like, okay, now I'm going to take the cargo across the ocean. But so much of Mm -hmm. it is this internalized violent system that is, you know, then flowing in relationship to this European force. And Mm. yeah, I think people should really sit with that, sit with what it might awaken in you. Um, there's Mm. other really powerful reading to do and maybe we can put, we'll put stuff in the show notes for folks who are interested in doing like further reading on this because there's really, there's really incredible narratives now, um, that we have about what was happening on the continent at that time, both fictional, historical fiction and, and nonfiction. There's Mm. a question here about what's being learned and, I recommend if you're tracking things in a notebook and answering your questions in a notebook, like this is one to answer and keep referring back to, is what is Anyanwu learning about Doro by observing him on the ship and in relationship to everyone? Like what is she learning about this person? And simultaneously, what is Doro learning about Anyanwu? Like you can kind of see the little, his mind keeps getting blown, right? Like boom, boom, boom. Like who is this woman? And then she's also learning how people respect him or fear him or, right, that blurry line there. So what do you see them learning about each other? And mm. what would you do in the face of Doro's offer to Okoye? You know, he says, you'll have land, you'll have 
safety, you'll have plenty. But whenever I come, whether it's one year from now or 40, you have to do whatever I say. And no doesn't really feel like an option, right? Um, or it is, but it would be the end of your life. And does it feel like that would be preferable to the offer? So really just sitting in that question. I'm curious about this one for you, Toshi. Which of the powers of Doro's sons is most intriguing to you and why? Huh. Well, I think I love Isaacs. I think that just more identifies with a skill set I wish I already had. Yes. <laughs> And I and I and I really do. I'm like uh, Anyan Wu is with like don't marry your relatives. Yeah. I'm like that about don't be getting in other people's minds. Oh yeah, like, don't be like trying to do that. So I'm not, you know. Although I could see that that gift doesn't have to be um, a horrible gift. Yeah. That's his his decision making. That's right. But I love being introduced to Isaac as somebody who can guide a ship through a storm. Yeah. And it's not like he can pick the ship up and like fly yeah. through the storm. He's still in the storm. It's still, it's just he gives them an opportunity to live yes. and for the ship to be whole. And eventually the ship is like moving fast against the yes. wind. I just love that. I love that he can float in the air yes. above the water and that he can pick things up and, you know, make decisions about like, I'm sure he's not always so gentle. But um, that's that's the one for me, yeah. I think. Right, yeah. You know, it just feels like it's in collaboration with nature in a certain kind of way. I love that. Yeah, I, Isaac is intriguing, and the way his powers move is very intriguing. I also feel that, like, that feeling of, uh, the, I guess, the gift of inception, like being able to plant ideas in other people's minds, make them see things, mm -hmm. feels frightening to me and a question i have for our listeners is actually have you ever felt that a thought was being placed in your mind and did that feel like an act of aggression or something else mm. you know living inside of capitalism i feel like this is something we're actually experiencing pretty regularly is watching something or um you know, driving through the world and people are trying to plant things in your mind all the time. <laughs> um, yes. But how much are you aware of it? How much are you aware of the intentions behind it? Even with COVID, I just noticed in my own building. Mm. So if a, just if a news report is like everything has gone up and the Delta, 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 every, you know, people had started taking off their mask in yeah. the elevator and or they had these signs that say if you're vaccinated, you can take your mask off, but if you're not like, I, I'm like, well, how is this useful? Like, let's just all keep it on or let's all keep it off. Like it needs to yeah. be, what, why are we putting <laughs> people doing such, you know? Yes. So then the day that they announced, so New York has been like Delta, Delta, Delta. And then, the, then our numbers went yeah. down and then all the people are like, the numbers went down. And on that day, like more people got into the elevators without their right. masks because they were like, oh, we we're can good. take these off yeah. now. And I was like, no, they didn't say our specific building, <laughs> like, that our not. specific community has shifted. They're just saying overall in the city, yes. like the numbers have gone down. But because you know, of these practices of safety, which we should not yeah, then so abandon. <laughs> we should just keep doing it because then in real time, we still don't know about each other. So like, why are you like, why do we even have to know? Exactly. Like we could just keep the mask on. So interesting. <laughs> and I was like, this idea of absolute, you know, certainty, yes. 
that's come through the COVID practice and then have to walk back absolute certainty. That's right. You can do this. You get vaccinated. Oh, you need a third shot. Oh, you yep. need, like, we should be hip to it, but they get us every time yeah. they make an announcement. Yes. Yeah, everything changes. Yes. I mean, and this is the, this might tie to the next question too, but, you know, Anyanmu speaks about spirit weariness, soul weariness, after the storm mm. where she's able to hold this man um, and hold the ship. She's like, I feel tired and not in a way physically, I shouldn't feel tired because the the strength that I have means that <laughs> that would not exhaust me. But her spirit feels weary. Her spirit feels tired mm. from all this change and all this fear and everything that they're moving through. And I wonder That's right. for our listeners, do you know the spirit weariness in your own self, in your own body? Mm. Have you tasted that flesh? You know, like, do you, do you know that shape? Mm. And if you do, just sending you a few sprinkles of resilient energy, a few sweet lavender smells, a few calming sprigs of juniper and cedar. Um, so, because <laughs> I'm like, I know what you mean. <laughs> this is a spirit-weary yes, right. time. And and Anyanwu, I feel the connection from what Anyanwu is experiencing to what we're experiencing today. You know, just that being in the, tumultuous situation of change where you're not in charge of the conditions that you're in. Mm. So now it's dolphin time. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> Look how happy you are. Dolphin time. Okay, so <laughs> this is one of the things that stands out the most to me in this book is the shape-shifting period. Like every creature she shapes shapeshifts into, I feel like the most beautiful writing that Octavia does is the writing she does about shape-shifting and what she experiences in the bodies of mm. these other creatures. And I wanted to ask our listeners, what creature would you most want to read the flesh messages of? Which creature would you most want to shape-shift into? The dolphin is clearly an amazing option, and we know that she shape-shifts into other things. And I'm really curious, like, if you had the choice, you know, what would be the, if you're like, okay, you get to shapeshift once into one other kind of creature, and what what is it that you want to do? I would not go into the water. Water is really difficult right now. And I think that if, if it wasn't, I would go into the water, um, and I would want to be a giant whale. Oh, <laughs> like, yes. You know, and I just have seen that what the creatures are doing to exist, and I'm like, I... I know, you know, because I, there's no other place they can live. Um, yeah. But that's that's what I would do. I really, um, the, you're in the water a little bit, water, land, water, land. But I have fascination with frogs. Ooh. And, um, <laughs> and I, they're so, frogs are so important to our whole existence on the planet. Yes. And I mean, everything's important, but frogs are really, 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 really important. And like bees are and stuff like certain things that we can't like let go. So I know that Octavia was going to get me on my little like soapbox about these issues. Yes. But when you start, when you have to think about what if it was you, what if you could yes. be something? What if you could? And I'm like, no, I wouldn't go in the water right now. Yeah. Like it's it's deep. I, I can't even imagine it, I, you know, but I think I will go for it. For frogs, there's a lot of different kinds of frogs. I'm not fluent in frogness, mm -hmm. but I just find them, I find all of the things about them. Like 
their physicality, the sounds that they make, the vibrations in their bodies, the way that they have relationships. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I think they're pretty cool. I, I, you know, I am one of those people. If you ever go to one of those places and there's like frog crossings on a road. And and I stop my car. Yeah. For frogs. Yes. As well I'm just you like, should. no, this frog is trying to get across this road and we're going to be here for a minute. So, you know, like that, I just have a thing. So, yeah, mm. it's a frog. What about you? I love that. Well, you know, I definitely, the first thing that came to me was definitely octopus that I feel mm. like I would love to get to experience that kind of shape-shifting, moving through the water, the way that they move through the water, pulling myself around with all my limbs and having brains at the end of all my tentacles. I mean, just there's so many Mm. things about it that I'm like, I want to feel all those suction cups and like moving through the world that way. (laughs) Um, I see you. I I just am like, I love it. (laughs) Octopus feels like a definite invitation. And similarly, I feel that struggle around living in the water, which feels so vulnerable right now in a vulnerable Mm. world. The other thing that calls to me is a crane or a hawk, or just a mm. really wide-winged, wide-wingspanned bird. Like, I really, yes. I watch birds all the time, and I see that moment when they are coasting is so appealing to me, just the idea that you can ride the yeah. wind, and you're not even flapping. Like, you could flap, but you don't even have to. you just, you know, just spiraling, and what is mm. the perspective that you have? How do humans look from that perspective? And um, the idea of superiority feels like it's instantly turned on its head when you're like, I'm flying over you. <laughs> like, mm. you can't even fly. You have literally no wings. So mm. I think that would be mine. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I would not poo-poo at an opportunity to be a dolphin for sure. Yeah. So the sensuality of this dolphin experience really sticks with me. Like it feels like, one of the most erotic pieces of writing that we'll see in Octavia's work. And, Mm -hmm. you know, before she leaves the experience, she says that the mating would have been good. Like she has a real clear sense of like, whatever this dolphin lovemaking scenario was, was like one that she was here for. And I just want y'all to notice in yourself what you feel in response to that. So do you follow the experience of the dolphin arousal? <laughs> like, are you able to kind mm-hmm. of move that way? Do you feel revulsed by it? And like, you know, this is abomination. Do you feel kind of <laughs> neutral around it or it's just a fictional idea? Just tune in for yourself, right? One of the things I love about this book is we're having to develop a new ethical guideline, right? Not, you know, right. we're dealing with a, a protagonist who is a black woman who we now know has the capacity to be a cannibal, who we now know has the capacity to be a killer, who can shapeshift and truly become these other creatures. And what are the guidelines? What are the values for her, right? When she when she moves yeah. into those different places and what are the acceptable arousals for her? Um, mm-hmm. So notice how that feels. And I think my last question, maybe next to last, I think it's last, at the very end, that that dynamic that's happening between Anyanwu and Doro, and even Anyanwu and Isaac, you know, Isaac comes into the water very much like, you need to come back. Like, Doro wants you to come back, but he also, you can feel in him. It's like, I am lifting you and taking yeah, yeah. you. You're not mating with Mr. Dolphin over there. Like, you need to get back in this boat. Yeah. <laughs> it's so patriarchal and possessive and, like, overpowering. And then she comes mm-hmm. out of the boat. She's having this conversation with Doro, and he's menacing. Like, he's glancing back at these dolphins 
with this intensity that she's like, I don't even understand what it is, but well, I want to know what our listeners think it is, right? Like, what do you think is so disturbing for Doro as he's looking at these dolphins and understanding that Anyanwu can move beyond his, his reach or his power into this water. She's able to do something he can't do. So log that in your mind, because I think that this, we'll see more of this, and I think we'll be able to answer this question even more later in the book. But what Mm -hmm. do you think it is right now? I guess this, my last, last final for real question is how do you feel about Anyanwu's self-defense and the murder or killing or, right? How do you feel about what happens with her and Lael? Was what he was up to worth his death uh, to you as a reader? Hmm. I'm like, don't get into my brain. Don't get into my brain. brain. Don't try it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Don't try it. No. So I love the dolphin experience. Me too. too. I could read it over and over again. And yeah, it's beautiful. um, And yeah. And you know, there's more, there's more shape shifting to come in this book. It's one of the best parts of this, this text. So, there we go. That is chapter five of Wild Seed. And we're super excited you're here in this journey with us. Octavius Parables is hosted by myself, Adrian Marie Brown, and my friend and teacher, Toshi Regan. Uh-oh. Our producer is Kat Aaron, <laughs> who actually, maybe that is an announcement, is that Kat, our producer, is also producing an incredible podcast called Because of Anita, which is looking at the Anita Hill story and doing all of these interviews about how that story, that shared narrative that we have has shaped so many of the battles that we've had over sexual harassment and discrimination and how we view women who bring these charges forward, how it has shaped the Supreme Court. It's, It's all in this podcast. It's excellent. It has an unprecedented historic conversation with Christine Blasey Ford as a part of it, um, between Anita and, and, uh, Dr. Ford. So, uh, yeah, I just want to point people towards that. Kat has been working really hard on it. In addition to working hard on this, we're super proud of her and it is a super amazing podcast. So that's Kat, Kat's work. Our show art is from Krista Franklin, who has also done the entire major arcana for the Octavia E. Butler tarot deck that's coming out soon. And we are transcribed by Jess Pinkham. You can find us on Twitter at Oparables. You can become a patron at patreon.com backslash Oparables. And you can find transcripts for every episode we've ever done live at readingoctavia.com. That's so cool. And the music for the Wild Seed edition of Octavia's Parables is You Don't Know the Time, written and performed by Toshi Regan, and The Sower Song, uh, written by Bernice Johnson Regan, uh, recorded live at Memorial Hall in North Carolina um, by the cast of Octavia E. Butler's Parable of the Sower. You know, I also think we should throw in a marine mammal song in here somewhere when we're talking with about Alexis. Oh. Totally. Right? Um, maybe even totally. held, you know, like given that they're on this ship and, and they're on this journey. So we have held and I think held is a dolphin. Is held a dolphin one? I think I so. feel like it. Well, there's a definitely. Yeah. 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 Okay, okay. Yay. I will. I will put that up in the thing. Ask and you shall receive. All right. Yeah. <laughs> we love y'all. We'll see you next time.
Bye.